Okay, we're reading chapter 1 of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach him the language of, and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned him a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned you a food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, giving us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And now we have a reading from Mark. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, which can be found on page 1016 if you're following along in the Bibles. 
Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob was right. Bob is in many ways introducing what the whole book of Daniel is about in those in that very famous song. You're going to have to serve somebody. The devil or the Lord, you may serve all sorts of manner of things that you're introduced to in that song, but you've still got to serve somebody. You can serve rock and roll, you can serve high finance, you can even be a preacher and serve your spiritual pride, but you've got to serve somebody. Daniel is a book that challenges us to wrestle with whether we are going to serve God and then take it a step further what does that look like in a place that is nothing like God's way in Babylon? It's an extraordinarily powerful book. It's fantastic for God's people to wrestle with the depths, the complexities, the amazing stories, and in the second half of the book, all the amazing kind of apocryphal stuff that's going on uh, that Revelation takes up with as well. Because it shows us how God wants his people to live while they're waiting to go home. And it's a great book if you're wondering where you are with God. Or you don't even know what God thinks. Because here we see what God expects. And ultimately in the book of Daniel, we see how everything comes to whether not just you serve God but whether you serve Jesus the Lord. And so I hope you come along with me today. Um, and Hopefully we haven't bitten off uh, more than we can chew today or throughout this series. And I'm really looking forward uh, to opening up uh, God's Word with you today. And for all the, we've got quite a few preachers in this series, which is fantastic, uh, as we open up Daniel and challenge ourselves to follow uh, God. So how do we think about this book? What do we do with it? Well, if you've got uh, the outline there, you can see I've just kind of simply put it out there that if we're going to serve somebody, we're pulled in two directions, at least according to, to Bob. Is that right? Are we going to serve God or something else? Or do we serve both and just kind of let ourselves kind of go like this and like this and go back and forth? How are we going to live? And so Daniel chapter 1 kind of introduces this idea for the whole book and takes us on a journey and helps us see that we 
has some real reflections to make. And ultimately, continual changes in our life. And so let's have a look at it as we go through. And you'll see there, um, this is a simple way I put it in the outline, is that we want to understand the setting, which hopefully you kind of have a little bit better idea of the context from the way we did it with the kids. And then we'll look at what is the conflict in this narrative. So the, the first part of Daniel is stories that kind of are really interesting and they have a conflict in them. And then, of course, if you've got any conflict, you've got a great solution. And then we'll try and put it all together. And seeing how does this, is this just a great story story for God's people to hear today, but it doesn't mean anything to us? Or is it deeply relevant for you and I all these years later? That's the plan. Let me pray, and then we're going to get right into thinking this through. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open up your word, and we pray that you will help us now understand what it is to draw the line in in the sand and serve you. Amen. You may have Daniel open for you. Um, I haven't put any uh, slides up on the screen today um, except for some New Testament references a bit later. But if you've got the Bible open, you see right at the beginning we know that Daniel um, uh, Daniel is in the period of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonians that came and, and took out the southern kingdom. We see that in verse, verse 1. The third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar... It's a great sounding name. I would always wanted to call one of my kids Nebuchadnezzar, but that would have been bad for the kids, so I didn't. But Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And notice verse 2. He didn't do it just in his own strength. God, uh, the leader of God's people, the king of Judah, was delivered into his hand by the Lord in verse 2. And so as this happened, they ransacked Jerusalem. They ransacked the temple of God. Now, for us, we may just think that's just another thing stolen and they lost all their things. But this is the centerpiece of their identity and where they meet with God, and it has been ransacked. It has been desecrated. It has been pulled apart, and they've taken it for their own gain and to put it in the treasure house of Nebuchadnezzar's God. It is a dire, devastating situation for Israel at this point because they are living, they've got the promises of God of a great land and many offspring and blessing and the offspring are being wiped out. The blessings are far to be seen. And where's the land? They're in exile. So we see they've been taken apart. But they're also, the setting is also that they go to a different culture. As we saw Daniel and his friends go. That's what happens in verse 3 uh, to, six, to 6. We see that the king ordered Aspenaz, uh, I didn't check how to say that word, Aspenaz, uh, to uh, take them into the king's service. See, basically what has happened is they basically uh, decided that they, what they want to do with Daniel and his friends is what we've done with Steamer. They've given them a map apprenticeship for three years. They get an extra year. Uh, Michael's doing two years apprenticeship with us in ministry. These guys are going to Babylon and they're getting an apprenticeship in the ways of following Babylon and being in the service of the king. And they're impressive. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, quick to understand, qualified to serve. 
they were noble, they were impressive. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king then gave them food. And it was from the king's, uh, uh, from the king's table. And then if it all went well, and after the apprenticeship, that was seen that all was good, they would go into the king's service. They got new names, they wore their clothes, and the setting is set. It's a very different culture. There's many gods, a tyrannical king, and there's not all the law and the Torah that they've built their whole relationship with God on anymore. And then comes the conflict in the story from verse 8. We find out that the issue that they're dealing with is that this food was a problem for Daniel because it was going to defile him. He saw it as a real problem because this food that is in honour of the king and his gods is now something that he's taking on board will defile him. And for the Israelites, what you eat and how you go about it was built into their relationship with God and, 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 the, and the Torah and the law and how they actually related to God and what they could and what they couldn't eat. And it determined their in many ways it was part of their identity. And now... They've got to do something so different. And so the conflict comes because Daniel in verse 8, see what he says right at the beginning there? Daniel resolved not to defile himself with this royal uh, food. And so he asked for permission to not to have to have that happen. But the conflict gets worse because the guy he asked permission for, he's kind of said, oh... It, Sure, I'll just do that for you. You'll get unwell because you won't be eating all the abundant food which they thought was going to be fantastic for them because that's why they eat it and it'd be all great and make them healthy. If I do that, you get sick and look worse than everyone else and off with my head, I'll be killed because the king will be unhappy with me. So you see the tension. What do you do? Well, Daniel, Daniel thought, well, maybe, maybe... Just give us a chance. Let's see what happens. Let us have a test. So in verse 12, he says, Please uh, test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to, to eat and water to drink. That just makes me sad, but that's just another part. Um, just water, water and vegetables. And then look at us. And we heard what happens in the story, haven't we? They don't end up shriveling away. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard went, all right then, seems like my head's not going to be lopped off, so I will let you do that. The solution was Daniel actually drew a line in the sand and said, at this point, I am not willing to do this. Did he do it because he knew that God would exalt him and he would get away with it? Did he do it, uh, even though he may seriously hope that's the case, did he do it because uh, this meant he had to revolt against the whole culture that he'd come into? Or did he just decide that he could not 
defile himself in front of his God in this instance. We'll wrestle with this a bit more, but what we see is that the outcome was, in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave. Interestingly there, isn't it? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And we'll get to that really interesting and crazy stuff a bit uh, later in the series. And so, at the end of the time set by the king... He, they come before Nebuchadnezzar. Their map apprenticeship is over. They've done all their training. God has given them everything they need to live in another culture. And the assessment is, he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. That's what this all-conquering, tyrannical king had discovered. And so, the outcome, they went into the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king questioned them, what happened? They were the best. See, the big outcome in this instance was faithfulness to God's way meant that they were exalted by God. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? You may be wondering, picking up some things that you can take on board with it, but how do we process it? What what do we do with it? How do we understand it? Other than to see God was good to them, they stood by God. But how do we apply it to ourselves? We need to totally rethink the way we eat as Christians. Maybe, maybe not. How do we wrestle with it? So I think what we're seeing here, here. in this passage and and what we see in Daniel is we're wrestling with a culture and our allegiances. In the outline, it's at the end of the page, we're going to spend a bit of time here wrestling with this and reflecting on what I've just kind of quickly moved us through. See, how do we process this? Well, one thing you could do, I don't know if you've ever been to Kurong, the, the Christian bookstore, and seen some books on Daniel. Some books on Daniel by... I couldn't believe how many different options there are. But there's uh, Rick Warren, a, a really um, be well-known uh, preacher in, in America. Have you seen his book on Daniel? Well, it's not so much on Daniel, but uses It's called The Daniel Diet Plan. 40 days of eating like Daniel. That's how we can take it on board. We can eat like Daniel. Now, in the summary of the book, just on um, uh, the blurb on the, on the website about the book is that he says that after an afternoon of baptising over 800 people, just get your head around that, that's so American, so big, um, after 800 people, he told his congregation he needed to lose weight and asked if anyone wanted to join him. He thought that maybe a few hundred people would, but actually what happened, and he's, very, he's been very um, uh, impressive in the way that he brings people along for the ride in many things that he's done, 15,000 people got on board and over 26,000 pounds were lost in the first year. I don't know how they measured that, but there you go. And so it says, welcome to the Daniel plan. Here's the secret source. The Daniel plan is designed to be done in a supportive community, relying on God's instructions for living. When it comes to getting healthy, uh, two are always better than one. Our research has revealed that people getting healthy together lose twice as much and it goes on to say how good it is to lose weight and it's good for God's people, blah, blah, blah. Not just weight, just mindset, everything, the whole thing. Now, of course it's good 
It's actually good to be healthy. God wants us to be good, healthy, and to to use our bodies well. And the idea is not necessarily wrong. But I don't think in any way whatsoever, on any hint, this chapter in Daniel is teaching us that. It's not a like-for-like at all. So what is it teaching us? Well, I think in the outline, you see, I just said that there is only one line to worry about. That is, I think what we see here and what we'll continue to see throughout Daniel is that we need to decide, all of us, wherever you are with God, am I yes for Jesus and His way and following Him and depending upon what He's done on the cross for me? Or is it a no? There's the line right here. You're on one side or the other. Daniel expressed that in faithfulness to a particular issue. And I think what we're seeing, that we live for the kingdom as this series has all been titled, is that this is the overarching idea that we've got to wrestle with. Do we serve God or not? You've got to serve somebody. Is it going to be the Lord? And I want to challenge you to see that 100% yes is what God wants it to be. And that is the assumption we are going, going for, uh, forward in today because that is how Daniel acted and thought. But what does that look like? If you're on this side of the line, say, yes, I am 100% wanting to serve the Lord. Or I'm on this side of the line wondering about what that looks like if I do decide to trust in Jesus. I think what we see from Daniel is not a dire plan but that we need to wrestle with being faithful to God when our culture is pulling us in another direction. That's what Daniel did. So how do you do that? Well, there are probably traditionally two options and the Israelites did that with Babylon. You can revolt and withdraw. No, we are not going to be with uh, the Babylonians. We are not going to fall, even if it means my death. I, I, no circumstances. I'm not even going to put on a belt, never mind a whole garment of Babylonian clothes. I'm doing nothing and I'm revolting. I'm going to actively raise my fist to Babylon, even though I've got no chance of winning. I'm just going to revolt and that's it. And withdraw from them. That's one option. And these words did do that. The second option is the other way. And some did this too. They gave in and just completely adopted the Babylonian way of life, including their gods, and eating the food to them wasn't just, that doesn't matter. It was like, yeah, no, we're happy to take on board what that means by eating these food and just totally give over to that way. There are two options. Are they the only two options for us? Were they the only two options? I don't think Daniel did either. So I think the third option, which comes, we see in Jeremiah, which I'm just not going to uh, go take us to Jeremiah, but I think we see that what Jeremiah, the prophet, when they're in exile, was saying is, is that actually he said to them, when you're in, in exile, build houses, live there, settle where, and seek the well-being of the culture that you're in. 
but the Lord is still to be your Lord. See, the principle that the prophet Jeremiah was wanting the exiles to see is that you're not going to revolt and you're not going to compromise yourself either. And I think that's what the third option that Daniel has taken on board. That you're going to serve the Lord by not compromising your devotion to him, but also by seeking the well-being of the culture that you're in. And so that's why Daniel's great, because that sounds good, maybe makes sense to you, but that's really hard to figure out, you see. It's actually really challenging. Daniel worked for the enemy, in a sense. Daniel took on uh, Belteshazzar, the name he was given. He wore their clothes. But when it came to his identity in this moment, when it came to having to do something which was so blatantly in contrast to his identity of belonging to the Lord, he said, well, I am now part of this culture. My loyalty is still with the Lord no matter what and I cannot do that. Faithfulness to God was what he did. And so, you live in the culture and you critique what the culture is like but you do it in a way for its well-being, not in a revolt and raising your hand. You do it in a way, not of violence, but you do it in a way of laying down your life which we see Daniel and his friends take that approach. This is a very different way to think. And this is the challenge that Daniel is giving, giving us because it still actually makes sense for us today. You see, Daniel was in exile, not in his home. Are we, as followers of Jesus, not in our home? Are we in exile? Are we waiting for the new creation? When Jesus returns and into all eternity we live with him and that is truly our home? Are we not living in a culture that constantly in all sorts of different ways over just my lifetime, never mind the last few hundred years and all ever since Jesus, that constantly has different approaches to all sorts of matter of life in the workplace, in morality, in relationships, in uh, uh, power, identity, that totally bats up against God's way? Is this not us? When Jesus came, he came as God became flesh he lowered himself and walked around without a home and he did that to give us a home with him forever the eternal home is what jesus brings us but what did he do when he walked around all those years ago before his death and resurrection. I think we see that Daniel is not so much a 
case study and how we're to be like but first and foremost we see that daniel points us to how that is how jesus lived he was completely 100 percent faithful to his father he lived in the culture and he definitely was subversive towards it and didn't put up with it when they rejected god that was the other little reading that we had today. I think it's a very helpful little way to see that as an example. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. I think I put it up on the screen, the, the, the key moment in that verse. Did I put it up there? Yeah, there it is. Jesus said to them, when they said, they're trying to trick him, but you've got Caesar's money and you know what are you going to do? They're trying to trick him. And what does he say? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. And they were, they were amazed. Jesus saying, no, no, you're part of this culture. There are taxes, the coins... The money is from them. You pay your taxes. You give it to them. But God's God and you give what's God. He doesn't compromise that. And so when we see what's going on in the, in the, in the uh, whole section of Mark and in Matthew and Luke as well, it's exactly kind of played out the same way. A few verses later, after he's just said, give to Caesar what Caesar, what does he make very clear when they ask him about which is the most important commandment? He says... Um, in verse 29, you should come up on the screen as well. Yep, verse 29, the most important one, Jesus said, of the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is, you live in the culture, you give to Caesar what is Caesar, but your faithfulness to God and Him being Lord is number one and you never ever compromise that either. Jesus came and unsurprisingly shows us the way in how we live in a culture that is so opposite towards Him. And when Jesus came, He didn't just uh, speak against the culture when it was safe to do so, did He? The whole narratives about Jesus' life is when he spoke, it was one little step further to the nails going into his hands and his feet. You see, just as Daniel was exalted, Jesus, in exile, dies and is exalted and risen to life. And he's now reigning and he's going to come back and bring us home with him into the new creation. He is exalted. That is why this drawing the line in the sand is so important because the reality is there is only one way to God and this uh, Jesus is preparing that way for us. He's getting the home ready. We are in exile and there's going to be a home for us and that is what he says And when, the, when uh, he's speaking in John chapter 14. I'm not sure if this is the next one up, mate, but if you can see John 14 there, put it up because I think it's helpful. There it is. It's very helpful for us to see what happens in John 14. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. I always try to figure out what house and rooms and all that kind of meant here. And I think this really speaks into the fact that we're in exile and our home is with God. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? We're not in our home yet, but Jesus 
is paving the way for it. And he says, so if I'm going to do that, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so uh, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Good old Thomas. He said, well, no, I don't think I do. Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And it's at this point. The only line that needs to be drawn is at this point for us. Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That is who we follow. He is going to take us out of exile into the home, into the place, as it says there, the many rooms that the Father's preparing for us. And so today, as we're living in our Babylon, because actually if we trace through Babylon, Babylon becomes uh, any kind of human institution that's kind of rejecting God's way and demanding allegiance to themselves. just kind of becomes this kind of representation. And it's not just from Babylon here, because what happened in the Garden of Eden? The first Adam and Eve in relationship with God in his garden, they reject God and they're kicked out into exile. Where does that exile lead? In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And the picture of exile pointing to Babylon begins and is traced through the whole Bible. We live in that place now. And we need to figure out how can we live with loyalty to God and to critique the way of the, of the society we're in. See, we can take two options. Let me not pull any punches. Let's, let's talk about what maybe many of you are thinking about right now, but one of the biggest issues we face if we're going to be loyal to God is... Um, uh, Christian leaders, Christian people, Christian churches, Christian denominations have to face right now is how are we going to deal? I don't know if there we go. I don't know if that um, uh, did everyone hear what I was saying there. That we can actually go. You know what? When it comes to um, uh, same-sex relationships, when it comes to adultery, when it comes to um, immorality of all sorts, we can say. It's so wrong. You're all bad. You're all going to hell. You're all bad people and it's no good and take that attacking approach. We can do that. But I don't think that's what Daniel did. I don't think that's what uh, Jesus did in just trying to destroy people harshly. Or we could just say, you know what? In the words of another Bob Dylan song, the times are changing and the church needs to change. We need to change our views on sexuality. We need to change our views on relationships. We need to change our views on morality because the culture has changed. Do we take both those options? Or do we actually 
live in a culture that fundamentally disagrees with us and more so and we come back to God and we remember God has a plan and while we may not be exalted, while we may be taken uh, down and treated harshly, we have to humbly, lovingly and wisely say living God's way means we don't accept things that aren't part of God's plan. And so God did make us for male and female relationships. He did make us male and female. And we're living in a society that's so complex. There's so many things to talk about. And we do need to think about it and wrestle with it more. And many of you are probably heartachingly wrestling with it in your relationships with people. But if we say we follow the Lord, we don't change our compromise, our position on what the Bible says in God's way. And yet... We don't just go out on the attack and offensively attack people. We lovingly care and be part of the society. We lovingly share relationships. We don't hate or express hate, even if we're said to be haters. See, living in a culture that's different to God's is complex, isn't it? And there's no point not talking about it. But if we follow the way of Jesus, complete faithfulness while living in the culture giving taxes to Caesar we can start to pave a clearer way I think you see that is why when we did 1 Peter last year if you went here we looked at the book of 1 Peter and Peter was all about this you've got to have your allegiances to God but as you do that you're foreigners you're not home yet so you need to live out your life in reverent fear he says in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 17 up on the screen there since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear in 1 peter chapter 2 dear friends he i urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul you know the Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he wrote in in Philippians uh, chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven, in verse 20, as we eagerly await a saviour. You see, we do not compromise on how we live because we have a line in the sand, and that is God is Lord, Jesus is the King. And we've got to work out everything else around that in love and grace and critique the culture and and interact with it, live in it, not run away from it, not hate it. It's challenging. It's hard. And so when I say there's only one line in the sand to worry about, I say that because being a pastor for 10 years, I couldn't tell you how many times I've been asked, how far can I go? on doing something that society says, you know. Can I, you know, often in relationships, what can you do? Can I hold hands with someone? Can I, is that okay? Can I go, can I, can I actually, you know, um, uh, watch these TV shows? Is it all right to lie a little bit in the workplace? Because I'm saying, all sorts of, how far can I go and it's okay? It's, that, that's, there's no line there. There's no line. I just get to that point and go over. The only line is, is Jesus your Lord? 
And then after that, it's all just about figuring out how am I faithful to him as Lord? It's not how far do I go, where's the line is, what does God want? How do I figure that out? Not by my emotions, not by my feelings and experiences, but going to the Word of God and letting them shape our thoughts, our minds, our emotions, our feelings. And so, my challenge for you today is to refreshingly come back and say, is Jesus my Lord? If He is, resolve to be one who is faithful to Him while still being part of a culture we don't belong to. Loving it, caring it, being concerned for its well-being. As I finish, I want to suggest to you that if we're going to do that, we foster allegiances. Uh, One of the commentators I was reading, I think he helpfully made me reflect on the idea that Daniel, Daniel had this resolve. He said he resolved not to defile himself. I think that idea of resolving is really important. And what this commentator, David Helm, was saying is, that where does this resolve come from? And he just brought out the reflection on that, well, not likely Daniel as a youth and as a young person was growing up under King Josiah. King Josiah. He was, one, he was on the scale of the kings, was one of the good kings. In 2 Kings 22 and 23, we see that. He was one of the religious reformers. He brought the temple back and repaired some of the temple. He kind of recovered the laws in some way. He returned God's word to the center of Israel when it was so badly lacking. He even restored celebrating the Passover, which we've seen how important the Passover is to the absolutely foundation for us through the atonement of Jesus. Daniel and his friends grew up seeing their king resolve to bring God back to the centre of their life. I think you get result, resolve, well, you can't just have it, but it kind of gets fashioned, doesn't it? It gets made. I know when I'm resolved to do something, it's because I've fostered it. You may have convictions and things, but those convictions continue on as convictions if you foster them. Wouldn't we as a church and shouldn't the church at large be concerned to fostering in our young people a love for the Lord and devotion to Him to work out how to possibly live in this culture which, to be honest, I'm getting old, I'm 40s now, I'm in the old grumpy side, I feel like now once you're 40, I don't understand what's going on sometimes, right? How hard is it to live in many ways? It's always been like that, but just how are we going to give young people a chance if we don't foster in them a resolve to love God and not compromise themselves first and foremost. That should be our heartfelt passion. That's why we have a kids program and and they're there now uh, learning in some ways and, uh, and we'll do over this term. You see, when you start off in life and start to work it out for yourselves, not just as young people, but maybe as a young adult or when, whenever that time is in your life and you think, you know, you're a college student, a young worker, a professional worker, you, you, you move out of home and all those things. As you start to make your own way in life and you've got to make those decisions, where are your resolutions? Where is your resolve? Is it for the Lord? Should we not want to create that? 
It's heartbreaking when any generation of any age says they love the Lord, wants to follow the Lord, but when it comes to the crunch, just goes back to this side of the line and wants to just adapt to the culture and say to God, that's all too much. For all of us, we need to be willing to go against the tide. Sometimes, even when that tide could potentially turn into a dangerous rip, we will always seek to remain faithful to God. Let me pray for us that we will seek to do that. Heavenly Father, give us resolve. Give us conviction to live in a world that is very different to having you as king. Help us to be faithful to you And to not withdraw from our culture, but to seek its well-being. And we thank you that our having you as Lord is not dependent upon ourself. It is totally, 100% dependent upon what Jesus has done for us. Amen.